Welcome to the hey, Adoption Ken. and Foster Care Journey, this is the a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip podcast, you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted March by an adoptive 27th. mom with over 22 years of kinship the and adoptive Lord parenting is my experience. And my shield. She's on this my journey with you. In him, Please welcome he me. Sandra Flack. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. That is Psalm 28, verse 7. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am your host, Sandra Flack, and I am excited to bring you my two special guests today. But first, as always, just want to check in to see how you are doing. Um, things have been pretty quiet on around my house anyway. Um, I do have a story um, on perseveration for you. Uh, I can kind of talk about it with a little bit of like, you know, it's a little comical because when you're living with it, it's just like part of life. But, you know, my mom used to say, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So I'm just going to laugh. But um, I'm sure you know about perseveration, even if you don't know it by its name. Um, I can share what it looks like because I've been you know, this has been something that our kids, you know, kind of do all of the time and they have for years, but I never knew it had a name. And I was actually listening to, I think it was Jeff Noble's podcast when I started really, um, really diving deep into FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And they were talking about perseveration. And I was like, oh my goodness, it has a name. Um, But here's what it looks like. Um, so my 19-year-old who has um, an FASD has a gift for building and repairing things. So currently, it's golf carts. He bought a couple of old junky ones and refurbished them to sell. And really, he's done a great job. Like, he does have a gift. He's got a strength. All of our kids do. And recently, uh, he got his first customer who hired him to repair their golf cart. So now he's come up with a name for his little golf cart business and to honor and and support his initiative, you know, really showing some initiative there and doing a good job because we got a good report, a positive report from his customer. I had my dear friend, who's also a graphic designer, design him up a little logo for his business and we ordered him a box of business cards. We may have created a monster because every day he was waiting for those business cards to arrive, which so my friend actually placed the order. Um, It wasn't me who placed the order, but she placed the order, but to have it shipped to our house. Then it was like every day, all day long, you know, he wanted to know where they are, when they would arrive, who the shipping carrier was. And, and I'll have to say, over the years, if I order something for him, say from Amazon, every day, at least twice a day, he wants, let's go on Amazon, let's track it. Where is it? You know, what state is it in? When is it going to get here? What day is it going to get delivered? And then on the day it's supposed to arrive, he camps out down by the mailbox waiting for the UPS man or the post, the you know, the mailman or whoever to come with the stuff. So I didn't want him you know, bugging my friend or driving my friend crazy like that. So, you know, I just said, you're not allowed to ask them to track it. You're just going to have to wait. They told him what day it was supposed to come. 
Of course, it didn't come on that day. It was supposed to arrive on a Thursday. So, of course, he checked the mail multiple times that day. He even came home from work to check the mail, and it didn't come. Then on Friday, when they still didn't show up, he actually drove to the UPS warehouse about 40 minutes from where we live, wanting to pick it up there. Now, mind you, he'd only called me about five times during the day, um, you know, again, did it come? Did it come? Didn't come? And when he said, well, I'm going to go to their warehouse, I was like, you can't do that. Like, you, you're going to get in trouble. They're going to, you know, they're not going to see this as, I just I just didn't want them to take it the wrong way that he was menacing or being difficult or being, you know, out of line or anything. And um, he was already on his way up there, didn't want to turn around, you know, once he was started in that direction, he couldn't change what he was doing. He had to kind of play it out. So I was just praying that he wouldn't get in any kind of trouble. So he came home kind of sort of proud of himself because he said, you know, you can pick up packages at the warehouse. Only my package was already loaded onto, um, you know, the UP, the USPS, the post office's truck, um, and it's going to get delivered to our house the next day, which was Saturday. And thankfully, they finally arrived. So that is perseveration, getting stuck on something and not being able to let go of it. It can drive a parent crazy. Now, I, I have a, a friend who's an adult living with an FASD, and she actually uses perseveration to her advantage for her job at work because she um, investigates insurance claims. So it, it you can put it to work for you, but, you know, and, and there's been times where my husband purchased something, you know, at Lowe's or a heart, you know, a, a Home Depot kind of place, and it needed to be put together, and he will stick with it. My son will stick with it until that thing is put together. Even if it means, you know, staying up until midnight and not being able to get up for work the next morning, he's gonna stick with that until it's done. So it can be leveraged for good, but it can also, you know, drive a parent crazy, like I said. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's perseveration and it takes patience and self-regulation on the part of us parents to navigate it because their brain just can't let it go. It's not that they won't drop it or they won't stop talking about it or they won't stop doing it. It's really that they can't. Their brain is on, you know, it's already like, you know, on the mission. It is a characteristic of a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and you have to kind of learn to roll with it and do your best to navigate it, um, but it's definitely a thing. So speaking of FASD, here are some important announcements before we get to our special guests today. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. All right, and coming up on Thursday, March 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I am teaching a three-hour 
online deep dive into FASD using the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model. And then on Thursday, April 6th, I'm offering a free one-hour lunch and learn, which is an introduction to FASD, and that is at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, you, 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 you can take one or the other, the, the, the one-hour one that's, I offer, I offer a lunch and learn every month. It's a one-hour introduction. You don't have to take that before you take the three-hour, um, but you, you can, and if you take the three-hour, you won't need to take the lunch and learn. So you can do one or the other or both. Uh, there is a registration fee for the three-hour deep dive. The lunch and learn is free, but in order to register for any of them, you have to go to our website to do that. So you can get the Zoom link because it's online. We do offer and pro- we provide certificates of completion for um, anyone who completes our workshops. Um, so if you want to learn more about the workshops that we offer, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org and click on training. And then in the drop down menu, you'll click on FASD. If you want to actually register for a training that's coming up, that's already on the calendar, then you would go to our website, justicefororphansny.org and click on events because it's a current event. And then you can just click on whichever one you want to register for. So I hope you check that out. And there'll be link in the show notes so that you can get to our website and and, and uh, check it out, learn more and do what you got to do there. So Also, don't forget, or maybe you don't even know about, I want to tell you about, we have 21 bonus episodes of this podcast that we released uh, with Dr. Jared Brown as the guest. Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and much, much more. This series of episodes focuses on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, um, FASD, of course, screen time, executive dysfunction, inappropriate sexual behavior, which when you begin to have teenagers in this space, um, that will be a very important uh, episode that you will want to listen to. Um, But he also talks about working memory and cognitive cognitive flexibility and like all of the brain things. So um, they are definitely excellent episodes. They are some of our most popular episodes. Um, so you can check them out on our web. They're, they're all in our, our lineup, our queue of episodes that you can listen to. Um, so you would just check them out. They're um, titled that they have that bonus episode with Dr. Brown uh, in the uh, description. So you'll know which ones they are, but I highly recommend them. They are, there's 21 of them all together, and we will be doing some new episodes with Dr. Brown in the future. So please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And so other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers can easily find the show and be encouraged and equipped too. So now to our special guests today, Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum. Lisa Qualls is the author of The Connected Parent, which she co-authored with Dr. Karen Purvis. She's also a TBRI practitioner and a Christian spiritual director. As a birth mom and adoptive mom, she writes and speaks with wisdom about the challenges and beauty of adoption. Lisa and her husband, Russ, live in Idaho and have 12 children and two granddaughters. Melissa Corkum is an adoptee and an adoptive mom. She provides insight and resources to adoptees and their parents through her writing, 
coaching, and speaking. She is a safe and sound protocol practitioner and a certified Enneagram coach. Melissa and her husband, Patrick, live in Maryland and have two kids and two grandchildren. Together, Lisa and Melissa serve thousands of adoptive parents by providing post-adoption support through their podcast, books, speaking, and coaching. Please welcome returning guests, Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum. Hey, ladies. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sandra. It's so good to be here. Oh, I am thrilled to have you both back on the show this time together. You've both been on separately and, and told your stories and, um, you know, loved connecting with you back then. Um, and now today we're going to talk about um, a new resource that you are offering for foster and adoptive families. So I'm so excited to talk about your new book, Reclaim Compassion, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Overcoming Blocked Care with Neuroscience and faith. So I'm so curious, what led you guys to write this book? Well, it's a bit of a journey, actually. We both separately began sort of learning about blocked care and experiencing it ourselves personally long before we knew it had a name. And uh, for me, it started way back when I was writing my blog. I think that in 2010, I'm pretty sure that's when it was, a parent sent me the question, uh, what do I do if I don't like my child? Mm. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh yeah, I get this question and there's no way I'm going to put this on my blog. <laughs> because honestly, way back in the beginning of adoption blogging, I think a lot of us were a little afraid to be honest. We didn't want people to know how difficult some of our journeys were. We didn't want to discourage anybody. But when that question came through, I decided to go ahead and share it. And back in those days, you know, we had community through comments on our blogs mm -hmm. and the comments just flooded in like, wow, I have thought this and I've never felt like I could say it. Thank you for asking this question and just comment after comment after comment. And I began to realize that parents like me were really struggling and beginning to wonder, what have I gotten myself into Am mm -hmm. I even a good parent anymore? You know, so all of that began to sort of swirl in my life, in my spirit, in my mind. And then over time, over the years, I began speaking and teaching about it, still not knowing there was such a thing called blocked care. So when Melissa and I teamed up together and I was, you know, telling her that, that I was really passionate about this topic. And I, I used to teach a breakout called When Your Heart Feels Trampled. And so we started talking about this. And then one day she called me. She said, Lisa, you have to hear this. I'm going to read this to you. And it was from a book called Brain-Based Parenting by Jonathan Balin and Daniel Hughes. And she read me this thing. And then she said, it's called blocked care. And I honestly got choked up. I can still picture that moment years ago now. I was in my living room and I thought, oh, there's a name. It's not just me. There is a real name for what I'm experiencing. And so that really began our journey together of researching what is blocked care, what causes blocked care, and how can we help parents overcome it so that they can find hope again and lose the shame that they're experiencing as parents. Gosh, it makes me think because I too have experienced that um, 
way back when our first child came in. It was a kinship placement. So it was a little eight-year-old girl who was a relative. So we had no formal training, no foster parent training, no any kind of training, didn't read any adoption books or any of that because you know, I think it was Jane Schooler who I once heard say, we don't know what we don't know. So I really was clueless. Um, and it was hard. And she was hard. And I didn't understand trauma. You know, I didn't understand the impact of trauma um, on a child. And I also didn't understand prenatal exposure and the impact that has. Um, nor would have I even have thought that this particular child would have had prenatal exposure to alcohol. But um, she was hard and difficult, and it always felt like everything I ever asked her to do, she didn't do. Like, it felt on purpose, right? And, you know, now, like 20 years later, I, you know, I've come to understand, you know, a whole lot more about trauma and FASD, but um, realizing, too, that, well, I was home with her all day long, so it usually was just me, you know, it wasn't, so to not take it personally, but I know you're going to get into all of that, um, but I think probably every parent listening maybe is breathing a sigh of relief that they're not the only one who is having this experience at times. So I read your book, and I love that you tackle the topic um, that dives into shame and, and the grief that we can feel, um, and, you know, I love also the fact that you brought the neuroscience into this, uh, into the conversation. So I know in order to understand blocked care, we have to first recognize what blocked trust is. So would you start by explaining what blocked trust is? So there's four different types of blocked care. And I think the one that we probably see the most in foster care and adoption is child-specific blocked care. And this is kind of a cycle where a child comes into a family and because of experiences, you know, adverse experiences in their development, their nervous system is skeptical about connecting and being vulnerable and open to other relationships. And, you know, we see this, we've called it lots of things. We have, you know, Dr. Purvis named them kids from hard places and we talk about attachment challenges. So I think in the adoption and foster care world, as we become more and more trauma-informed, this isn't a new concept, but it might be a new name. So a child comes into a family with blocked trust, which means they're already uh, hesitant to be reciprocal in relationship. And so when, as a parent, we are giving pretty consistent bids for connection and attachment to our child and they're not being reciprocated in the way that we're expecting then that triggers blocked care which is this subconscious so it's not a character flaw in a parent it's a protective mechanism in the nervous system that says hey when i go to try to connect with this child, it doesn't feel really good, good, especially if that child, you know, has big behaviors or is overtly rejecting or even just maybe flatter affect, like just isn't reciprocating in the way that we're expecting. And so 
um, the nervous system actually feels that the same way as physical pain, right? If you think about like, if something hurts, like we don't go put our hand on the stove again and again and again, because there's a mechanism in our bodies that says, Hey, last time we did that, it didn't feel really great. Um, and so that's blocked care then is when a parent's nervous system becomes self-protective. So it's kind of these like two cycles of self-protection, one going on in the child's nervous system and one going on in the parent's nervous system. And I think parents listening if, can probably think of a time, many parents, when they felt this way, where they, you know, they they thought that they were going to connect with their child by using gentle eyes or, you know, gentle touch or sharing, giving choices, all these things. And so we we do these things that we expect the child to respond to in a positive way, you know, like that's, that's what our brains and our nervous system are expecting. But when the child is unable because of their own harm and their own block trust, when they're unable to receive those and we get instead these either super rejecting big responses or just these really kind of confusing, strange responses. I I think in the parent, it begins to feel like something is not right. Something does not feel good here. And I, I think we begin to, like Melissa said, protect ourselves. Like, I don't think I'm going to try that again. And if we have a child who is aggressive, our brains and nervous systems feel like I'm in danger and we just begin to protect ourselves. And it's again, not intentional. Like Melissa said, this is not about a parent's character. It's not about, in my mind, it is not about sin. I mean, yes, we can make choices like that, but this is about how God wired us to perceive danger. And unfortunately, in these situations, our nervous system starts to say, this is dangerous. This is confusing. And I'm going to protect you. Mm, that makes so much sense. Um, you know, I'm a parent of two teenage boys adopted, and they, they both have fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, so, And I've come to understand a, a brain-based approach in parenting um, because their brains are different. And I'm a facilitator of the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model, which marries very nicely with TBRI. Um, so I love how you bring this aspect of neuroscience into the book. So, um, you know, now that we understand blocked care or blocked trust, um, can you go a little bit deeper in the blocked care? Um, or maybe you've touched on it enough, or maybe a little bit more into the neuroscience of it, um, because it just makes so, so much sense to me the way you the way you've explained it because if I feel like I'm going to experience harm I'm going to resist that right just automatically I'm going to want to avoid that so um, yeah can you take us a little bit deeper at all Lisa do you want to talk a little bit about the signs do you have those in front of you I do yeah as Melissa and I studied this basically what we found was there were some sort of um, a little bit more scholarly types of writing about it and. Dr. Hughes and Dr. Balin, authors of Brain-Based Parenting, had written about it. And they were the ones who, I believe, coined the phrase block trust and block care. And um, we, as we've worked so much with parents and as we've gone deep into this topic, we developed what we consider our 10 signs of blocked care. And so... What we do in our work is we invite parents to take a very simple assessment, which we will 
be making available to your listeners as well. But we invite parents to take this assessment to begin to kind of open their eyes to what they might be experiencing. And just I'll just give you a couple of examples of a couple of the 10 signs. Um, here's one. I feel resentment toward one or more of my children or my situation as a whole. I may even regret adopting and fostering. I think that one reaches a lot of people. Um, I isolate myself. That's another sign. And, you know, so we have these 10 signs. I, I think one of the things we see most in parents is overwhelming shame. Like, how could I not like my child? How could anyone blame a child for how I feel? You know, how could I? And and I thought I was this certain kind of parent and clearly I'm actually a complete failure as a parent and I'm not the person I thought I was. So I think that overwhelming sense of shame, um, sometimes doubt in faith, you know, was I, did I not hear God? Did I make a terrible mistake? Am I being punished for something? You know, all, all of those things tend to um, bubble up in parents when, when we're working with them. Yeah, because I do remember like, all right, Lord, I love my child, but I don't feel the like right now. Like help me to like her or him. You know, because I I struggled with that at times. So, um, yeah, this is great. I feel like that's really um, so eye opening and helpful um, to have you unpack that. And 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 so yeah. So the um, the survey um, that that you have in the book because it's in the book. You'll you'll provide a link to that so our listeners can go right there for that. So that is wonderful. So so. Those are some of the signs of blocked care. We understand, uh, you know, what it is, but how do we overcome it? Like, what can a parent or a caregiver do when they realize, when they identify, like, that's me, what do we do about it? Well, I think this is, like, the most hopeful part of the whole conversation, right, is that the good news is that there are things that we can do. They're super approachable. We try to make them super approachable and practical and gentle uh, because we realize that by definition, folks who find themselves needing this book are already at and beyond capacity. But we talk in the book about something called felt safety, this idea that our nervous system is taking in data from three different categories and deciding whether we're safe or not safe. And really the, the big picture goal is for us to care for our nervous systems so well as parents that we can kind of stay anchored in a sense of felt safety, even when our kids are acting in a way that demonstrates that they are not feeling felt safety. Um, and, and felt safety is so tricky because it the determination in our nervous systems, whether we're safe or not safe, doesn't always make sense to the extrinsic cues that we're getting, right? Like right now, the three of us are, you know, sitting in quiet rooms when we're talking to someone that we like. And so on the surface, we might think, well, of course, all three of you are safe. Why, why would you think otherwise? And there might be an experience that one of us has had. Um, there might be something in the background of our videos or something that our nervous system recognizes or connects with something that didn't make us feel safe. And then all of a sudden we know that we should feel safe. And yet we're getting this sense of like, Ooh, I, you know, 
of unease or anxiety. And so we obviously that's going to happen when we're in really stressful experiences, especially when our kids are having big behaviors. We're getting a lot of data that says you might not be safe. And so then we start protecting ourselves like we're not safe. And sometimes those behaviors aren't an actual physical threat to us yet. You know, and we might see like the rumblings of dysregulation and all of a sudden our nervous system's reacting like it's going to turn into a much bigger thing. So we talk to parents about caring for their nervous system so that they can over time learn to anchor into their own sense of felt safety um even when their kids aren't feeling safe and in that way we can um kind of prevent that self-protective mechanism of blocked care from taking over our relationships it's interesting because i've always thought of felt safety from the perspective of my child. I understand that my child doesn't feel safe, even though I may know he or she is safe, but if they don't feel safe, they're gonna act like that, right? They're gonna have the fight, flight, or freeze um, responses. I never thought of myself as, you know, I have to have felt safety, right? So that that's, wow, that's such a an interesting thought. I had not thought of that before. Wow. So. I also love the fact that you have like each chapter has like five days of homework and it's not hard, you know, you know, heavy homework or anything. It's actually very enjoyable to go through, um, you know, just some 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 questions or a question to ponder or an assignment, um, you know, some journaling space, that kind of thing. But um, you you start off you talk about and you just mentioned it too, Melissa, the 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 nervous system care. What do you mean by that? So I think a lot of people are talking about this in self as self-care um, when they mean nervous system care. And I, I do think there's probably an overlap and some differences. I started using, we started using nervous system care because it helped people stay with us long enough to explain what it was. When we, when we use self-care, people, sometimes they check out. I check don't know out. what that is. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> All of those things. So um. I mentioned that felt safety is based on the determination of data from three different areas. So the nervous system is taking data from inside our minds and bodies, from our external world. So like our sensory input, our environment, and then uh, the data it's receiving what we, in what we call between nervous systems, right? In our relationships, our relational world. And so nervous system care means how can we cue give cues of safety to our nervous system in all three of those areas and again we're not asking people to overhaul you know their entire lives or to think even about all three of these things simultaneously but we can break them down into smaller things it i think it's helpful because it feels organizing to me right it, it's like systematic it's not like these big things we can break it down into these three areas and then which within those areas there's some smaller subsections and um so nervous system care could be knowing that when we view nature for five minutes it calms and resets our nervous system right and so just even matching the brain science behind why we do some things that we even call just self-care 
uh, I think has been helpful to me to know, oh, there's science that says it's not selfish for me to want to go out in nature. Like it actually is soothing my nervous system. So it is really important for me to, you know, be near a window, see natural light, to go for a walk, to, you know, notice the things in God's creation that are beautiful. And I also know that that's something I can do by myself and also invite other people in my family because, you know, we kind of all need a little nervous system reset sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I needed one last night. So I took a nice long hot bath with like essential oils and all of that because I just needed, you know, that, that just quiet, relaxing, you know, I, I needed, my body was craving that. Yeah, well, that's smart. That's that's a good way to calm your nervous system. Yeah, yeah. I recognize that I needed that, even though I didn't know I was doing nervous system care, really. <laughs> I should have figured it out because I did re- read your book. So, um, <laughs> so I have to start thinking of it in those terms. But I knew I needed something, and I knew I needed that to, to um, you know, to, to just really bring me down. So, so that was great. So. I also loved, and I think, Lisa, this was you talking about lessons in liking, and that really resonated with me. So would you explain what are lessons in liking? Sure. Well, in when we, in our book, and when we work with parents, we take them through a process that, like Melissa was mentioning, where we are bringing healing to our internal world, our external world, or, and then in our relational world. And part of the internal world is our mindset and our mind. So how do we have a healthy mindset? And one of the things I shared in the book is that when we're in blocked care, we tend to have a very uh, strong negativity bias toward our kids because we've seen them do things in a certain way in the past and it has not felt good. And so the next time they do something that's at all similar, we immediately think they're doing this to make me mad, or they're doing this because they hate me, or they're doing this because they they say I'm not their real mom anyhow, or whatever it is, you know? And so our brains in stress, if something is neutral or negative, our brains default toward it being dangerous, dangerous. And so our nervous system is thinking, this is not good. This is not good. And so, um, I share some stories in the book where I think by God's grace, I I got the gap between what I experienced, what I experienced and thought, and then before I responded, and that gave me an opportunity to actually break out of some of that negativity bias to see that my child wasn't intentionally trying to make my life miserable. But one of the things that Russ and I developed together was what we called lessons in liking. And so we were struggling particularly a lot with one of our kids. And it was so hard because it was hard to see anything very likable. I mean, our little girl was very, very aggressive. So there was a lot of danger in our home, both practically and in our minds. You know, we were protecting other kids, trying to protect ourselves. And I felt very anxious. My felt safety was completely shot for sure. My nervous system was pretty fragile. So we decided we would try to intentionally look for the likable qualities in her. And so each day we texted each other back and forth one thing 
that we saw about her that we really liked. And I am telling you, we had to dig deep sometimes. And maybe it was something like, well, she looked really cute when she was asleep last night. <laughs> or, um, <laughs> or you know, just really little things. And sometimes they were physical things, like she's beautiful, beautiful dimples, things like that. But a lot, we just tried to open our eyes and think about what was good and true and beautiful about her. And when we do things like that, we can begin to change how we see our child and begin to see the things more naturally because we've been intentionally looking for them and sharing them with each other. So that is what lessons and liking is. And it's one of the exercises, what we call them simple practices in our book. It's one of the practices we have parents do as they're working on having a healthy mindset. Yeah. And I loved that. I loved that exercise. Um, and it kind of reminded me of gratitude, right? Keeping a gratitude journal. And if you can focus on things you're thankful for, you know, then you're you're able to have a better perspective in, instead of all of the negative things that are happening. So I, I really love that activity. Um, so in the book, and it's called Reclaim Compassion, um, it is faith-based, right? So how does, I, and you both can take an, an opportunity to answer this, but how does your faith play a role in caring for your children from hard places? So when we set out to write this book, we actually had a conversation about, you know, do we want to include faith? Because we know that families, whether they have a particular faith belief or not, are struggling with blocked care, and we didn't want necessarily to for a group of people to feel excluded from the book but at the same time blocked care and just the journey that we're on with kids with really big behaviors and quite frankly things that are outside of our control we didn't know how to talk about the journey that we'd been on without including our journey of faith because we can do all the nervous system care in the world and we can learn all of the tbri and all of the brain-based parenting things and know all the neuroscience and it doesn't mean that there's a magic formula for the outcomes that we desperately want you know where our kids turn out to be healthy contributing members of society the way that every parent dreams of right sometimes it looks very different sometimes the path to get there is very messy and sometimes there are outcomes that we didn't dream of or didn't want and so i think at the end of the day while i'm a resident neuroscience nerd and i love all of that stuff and I don't know how to be on this journey without falling back on something that's bigger than all of the pieces that I might have control over. Mm, so good. What about you, Lisa? Mm, I always tell people at the end of the day, it all comes down to Jesus. I mean, mm. you know, we, between Melissa and I, we have a ton of training and Sandra, you know this too, but our hope <laughs> is actually not in brain science, but in our creator who created our nervous systems. You know, all of our hope is in is in Christ. And I think it is my faith in God and the belief that he is 
always with me, that I actually am regulating my nervous system to God, like, because he is my safest haven, you know? Mm. And so I can trust him. I can rely on him. I can turn to him at every moment of every day. And it's really my faith that has, has kept me going. And also that has helps me see my children through his eyes and have more compassion for them. And also to see my family's whole journey as part of the story he's writing for us. This is not random. We didn't randomly get these children. Um, The things that have happened and we have walked through some dark, dark places, but the things that have happened, I really believe are part of his plan for us, for ultimately our good and for his glory, for the good of our children, both the children who came to us after lots of trauma and for the children we birthed. We all apparently need each other to bring about what God wants to do in our lives. And there has been a lot of grief. And I think as Christian adoptive parents and foster parents, we have to be honest that we are all often grieving losses of what we dreamed this was going to be like. You know, we had a dream that we imagined and what we may be living may not look at all like what we imagined and what we hoped for. But if we can really root ourselves in the fact that God has us in his hands and this is the story he's writing and we can find deep acceptance in that, then I think we can go forward with hope. Mm. So, yeah, I guess I would say my faith has been pretty much everything in this journey. <laughs> yes. Amen to that. And I can I can see that. And with, and with Jesus, there's no blocked trust, right? We have complete trust um, in him. He's trustworthy. Um, and he definitely sees us through those hard and difficult times. So the book is Reclaim Compassion, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Overcoming Blocked Care with Neuroscience and Faith by our guests, Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum. So where can our listeners grab a copy of your book? Well, for sure, they can grab it at Amazon. Uh depending on when this podcast actually airs to the public, we're working on kind of a wider distribution, uh, but Amazon for sure. And then if you have another, you know, favorite book retailer, um, you can always request, request it through them. Wonderful. And now do you have a website? I know you're going to send, you're going to provide a link. So explain what you're going to do. So our listeners know. So we mentioned a couple of times, the blocks care assessment. So Sandra, we've made that free for your audience and they can find that at the adoptionconnection.com slash journey. Wonderful. And you're going to provide a link so that we can provide that to all of our listeners um, because that will be important to really engage in the book. And I recommend the book. Absolutely. Um, So just wonderful resource, wonderful resource for our families. Um, So as we wrap up, uh, I'd like for both of you to also weigh in on this, but share some words of encouragement um, for our listeners who, you know, most of our listeners are adoptive, foster or kinship caregivers. Um, so just a word of encouragement, any kind of advice, what would you say to them? Well, I would say, so my oldest child is 36 and my youngest is 16, and there's a whole bunch in between. And so some of this is just the experience of being a mom who's been parenting for a super long time, but 
I think it's easy to feel like whatever is happening right now will never get better. I will never feel better. I The family we were is gone and it's never going to be good again. The mom I thought I was is gone and I'm never going to be a good mom again. You know, we can get into these places of despair. And I just think we have to uh, trust that this is a journey. It truly is. I know we use the word journey a lot, but that's what we're on. We are on a journey. And sometimes that journey is going to take us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes it's going to put us in front of our enemies, you know, but in that whole journey, we have a good shepherd, you know, and the Lord is walking with us. We are never, ever alone in this. And he's, you know, this is a beautiful, painful, broken, messy, and I think redemptive process that we're all experiencing. So I just think, hold on, whatever you're feeling right now, it's not always, always going to be this way. So when you're in the darkness, don't give up because the daylight is going to come again. Mm, I love that. I love that. Melissa? We talked earlier about felt safety and Sandra, you're talking about, you know, just thinking about how we as parents need to think about our sense of felt safety and we deserve to feel a sense of felt safety. And I think my encouragement is, and I, I feel like this is a double-edged sword, but you know, the, what we have control over is ourselves. We don't have control mm -hmm. over our kids' behaviors. There are only so many even of our circumstances that we have control over, um, but we do have a lot of control about ourselves and how we spend our time and what we care about and all of those things. Um, and it's not that quite that simple and cut and dry, obviously, but sometimes I feel like that can be discouraging to parents, right? I, because we have to realize what we don't have control over. And I think a lot has to die in that process, right? Lisa was talking about grieving, but I also hope that it sounds incredibly empowering to know that we can stop trying to control all the things that we don't have control over because that feel I think that feels incredibly discouraging, but that we can put a lot of uh, energy into ourselves and our own sense of felt safety. And that gives us something that we can do that we can control the return on investment there is way higher than you know when we invest a ton of energy into just managing behaviors and when i when we learn more about the neuroscience and how god created us to be in relationship and we learn about co-regulation don't underestimate so the encouragement is don't underestimate the power that creating a, a sense of felt safety in your own nervous system has on the rest of your family system like we don't have control over our, the rest of our family system but we definitely have influence and so as we care for our nervous systems well that has a trickle-down effect to the people around us including our kids and it's so powerful like god created these mirror neurons that are so, like that we underestimate so often and so i think that would be 
my biggest encouragement to parents is, you know, don't underestimate how the care of yourself impacts everything else around you when it feels like you're powerless. Mm. Such great words, ladies. So Lisa, Melissa, thank you so much for just serving with excellence, the adoption and foster care community, um, providing such great resources from your podcast, your books, your um, trainings, all that you're doing. Thank you so much for all of your hard work and for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having us, Sandra. It's been really delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was just wonderful. Um, The book again is Reclaim Compassion, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Overcoming Blocked Care with Neuroscience and Faith by Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum. And I highly recommend this book. It's it's been a fabulous read and it just makes so much sense when you read it and think about it and put it all together. And I find so many of us do struggle with, um, you know, sometimes we just are having a hard time liking, you know, our kids, and we experience a lot of shame around those feelings. Um, but there's science, there's neuroscience behind it, um, and there are is help for us um, on this journey because it is part of the journey. So um, I hope you'll check that out. There will be a link in the show notes to um, to the book to the to their. Um, a link to be able to go to their website to take the assessment um, and find out more about the book. And you can grab the book pretty much wherever books are sold. Um, So I hope that you will check that out. Um, And I thank you for sticking with us, listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Um, Remember, for um, guidance for your parenting journey, be sure to check out our website, um, justicefororphansny.org. We have resources there. Um, We have the Hope for the FASD Journey Virtual Support Community, um, and also our workshops on FASD. We've got everything from um, an introduction to FASD. We have those free um, lunch and learns every month, as well as deep dives um, into FASD, which goes, um, we go deep. um, And I have lots of different ways that you can participate in those workshops and and different different versions of it using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. Um, So again, for details or to register for one of our trainings, go to justicefororphansny.org and there will be a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow Justice for Orphans on Facebook and Instagram. And I am there myself, Sandra Flack. You can find me on both platforms. Um, If you would like to email me directly, you can do that at Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with us today. I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.